You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In our first lesson of the Daniel module, What is Preaching? Philip Edwards will present why preaching is like no other discourse and what shapes a preacher's intention. We hope you enjoy today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study our past modules, register for future modules and see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now, over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Welcome everyone this evening to uh, the first evening of a new module that we're starting, the actual last one of this school year. We're going to be looking at the whole subject of uh, preaching. Preaching has affected all of our lives because uh, that's primarily how most of us came to Christ. Maybe you read something of the gospel, but most come because someone has communicated it to us, which is, is preaching. So uh, it's, it's been used throughout church history and even through uh, the Old Testament. There were preachers and prophets. Uh, so it's something that God has used and I believe will continue to use and until Christ comes again. Let's just uh, commit our time then to the Lord to look for his blessing upon all that we study. Father, just help us, we pray again, uh, Lord, to um, come to terms with your truth, Lord. Uh, we want to be excited by what we hear. And Lord, uh, we want to step forward. Um, maybe you've called us to be preachers or people that can Uh, share the word of God with others more effectively. So we commit ourselves to to study together and uh, and to grow in you. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Preaching. What is preaching? We're going to examine uh, all of that over the next four weeks. Also, uh, we're going to have some fun because uh, the students that are physically in the classroom um, I'm going to challenge them to uh, prepare a, a short message, uh, probably something under five minutes. Uh, if we have two or three every week, uh, starting next week, we'll give them the chance, a bit of a break, so we'll lay some foundation this week. Uh, and then um, what we'll do, we'll not critique them, but um, as we've learnt some things week by week, we will say, yes, I saw that in what this person was doing or that person was doing. So we'll be very constructive in the things that we say uh, and we'll have some fun doing that together. So uh, for those that are physically amongst us, prepare yourself. uh, And you say, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Well, I tell you, none of us can do anything for God. If we think we can do it, then we do it in our own strength. And when we think we can't do it, then we do it in his strength. So that's always an advantage if you think you're not good enough or qualified enough to do this. This evening, I want to um, look at the preliminaries to uh, what is it? What is preaching? And just to um, observe what it is and make some suggestions about it. It's a channel by which the divine grace of God flows. If you were to go to a school or a a university, you would sit and listen to a lecturer, and because what he's doing, he he has got certain ideas or thoughts or concepts in his heart, in his mind predominantly, 
and his job through lecturing is to place them in your heart and mind. Maybe it affects your emotions. So it's, it's information that he has that he wants to convey to you. He would use all the techniques that we would see a preacher use if he was good because it's the same thing. It's the communication of thought and idea into the hearts and minds of other people. That's where the similarity ends. It looks the same because when it comes to someone who's preaching, they're not, or hopefully they're not his thoughts and ideas that he's seeking to plant in someone's minds. They're God's thoughts and ideas. And something else that's slightly different is that God wants to use the communicator, the preacher, the teacher, the pastor, as a channel by which he communicates to his people. It is God's primary way of speaking to us. Most Christians all over the world go to church. They might go once, twice, or three times a week, and God is communicating. That's his primary way, usually throughout the world, that he communicates truth to people so that they can be built up in the things of God. The preacher, his whole body becomes a channel by which God mediates power into the lives of his people. You say, power? Yes, because his words are spirit and life. So as the preacher stands and preach, preaches, the words that come through him from God have power and life in them. And if they can enter into the heart and the mind of the person that's listening, then power is released. They said of Jesus, where would we go? Your, your words are spirit and life. They have power within them. We wouldn't go and listen to another. You see, so as the preacher stands, that's what he is, a channel uh, to communicate the truth and the power of God. The preacher should be fully surrendered to God in all of his life. If he holds back from God, then he, he restricts being the channel that God wants him to be. So I would suggest to you those that hear God clearly because they're open, they're wanting, they're listening all the time, and they're wanting to walk before God, then they become clearer and more open channels for God all the time. If their lives are all messed up with lots of other things, it's a bit of a, a blockage, really, for God to just come through them in the way he wants to. He speaks to save people. He speaks to heal people. He speaks to uh, restore humanity to what God wants from the world. It's amazing, isn't it, that this fragile person standing in front of others is God's primary way of reaching his people, drawing more people in, releasing his power within the world. God delights in working with us. He, he could do everything on his own, but he doesn't. He chooses weak people like us, and then he, he flows his power through us, his anointing through us, his grace through us, 
which touches the world. The second thing about preaching, uh, it's not a chosen activity of man. I mean, when we grow up, I know we all have different giftings, and these giftings, they lead us to the, the work that, that we choose to do in life. If we're talented with administration or we're talented with, you know, we're very practical and we can do physical work, we're drawn into these different careers. You can't choose a, a career with God. You can't choose to be a pastor or choose to be a teacher or choose to be a prophet or an apostle. That's not your choice. That's his choice. So he chooses Preachers and teachers are placed in the church by Christ himself. He said, I will build my church and I will build it through these people I will place in the church. It says in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Mm. These fivefold ministry gifts then was to train others in the giftings that the church would continue to grow and expand and it grow. So the, these fivefold ministry gifts, they are gifts of people to the church. So there are five sorts of people that God gifts to the church. Each of them is expected to be a mouthpiece of God. The apostle who is the architect of the church, he has to speak. Paul was an apostle. He had lots to say. The prophet, of course, has to speak out the wisdom of God. The evangelist has to speak to draw the people in. The pastor, we hear him week after week, preaching or teaching. And there are those that simply dedicate themselves to teaching. And so all of them become a mouthpiece for God, God's mouthpiece in the world, a channel through which Christ instructs and builds his church. They themselves are a gift from God. They're not exercising a gift. There's a difference here. Every, every believer, when he comes into the kingdom, Sometimes he has natural giftings which God sanctifies and uses them in building the kingdom. Some people who come to Christ, they receive a completely new gift that God gives them and they start exercising that gift in the church. Some have several gifts. And so that is the anointing of God in every believer's life to exercise and to build up the church, just like those five uh, people gifts to the church build it up with the case of the the apostle the prophet the pastor the evangelist and teacher they don't have a gift they are the gift there's a there's a unique difference in that now if you recognize that that's good you can expect something different or special but you're not to elevate the person. They're, no, they're not different from you in any way. God has gifted them to you, the church. 
Now, what we make a big mistake of doing, we elevate these people. We mustn't do that. In fact, Christ makes a special point of saying, don't do that. You will destroy them by elevating them. And what you do by elevating someone else is you downgrade yourself. And you're thinking, well, it's all right for them. They're different and special. But I could never do that. So that's why Christ makes the point, don't elevate these people. They are gifts to the church, but they're people just like you. It says in Matthew 23, 8 and 10, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And you do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, and that's Christ. It's interesting, as you see that, he either uses the capital T or the capital F or the capital M, and when he's speaking about us, it's the little T or the little M. So even in the script as we read it, we see it's very clear. You're not to elevate these people. Respect them in the office, but don't elevate them. Don't ever see them as different or higher or more special or more anointed or anything else. They're there to serve Christ. And in serving Christ, the church is his body. So I can't, I can't personally serve Christ. But you said you said you were called to serve Christ, but you're the body of Christ. So I am your servant. I serve you. If anyone's more important than anyone else here tonight, it's you. The servant is always lower than the person that he's serving. That's the way it is. So all those that are in this fivefold ministry giftings, they're not elevated or special or higher than you. They're your servants. They exist for you. I'm here to serve you the best way that I possibly can. If I am a pastor teacher, then I'm sent by God to serve the church. That's it. Puts me in my place. And that's where I want to be. Because if I can stay in that place, it's all part of being this channel that God wants me to be to the people. The minute I elevate myself or think myself better, what I do is I push those that I'm speaking to down and I failed. I failed before I've even started because my very attitude, the very words that I use and the way I do it defeats the very object. See, Christ said himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And I think of myself, well, if he has sent me, then I too haven't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, because I'm following in his footsteps. The sermon that the preacher speaks, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, they must be influenced and they must be the work of the Holy Spirit in and through them. The Holy Spirit first instructs the person who's going to speak on behalf of God he must tell him what God wants to say. 
There's no way if I'm invited to speak, say, hmm, I wonder what sermon I'll do, and pick one down from the shelf. No, I mean, God could say, pick this one and preach this one. That would be God's instruction. But you have to listen to what God wants to say. If God wants to bring a, a message to the church like he does, he wants to disciple and grow every church, every local church that he, he wants to speak into it and cause it to grow. And he knows at whatever level these churches are. And so those that have the privilege, the position, the place of servanthood to stand before the congregation need to be saying, God, what do you want me to preach about? Every week. Every time they stand. And if you do that, God does it every week for me as I preach every week. It might give me a word, a sentence, a phrase, a passage of scripture. Of course, then I have to set about uh, with the Holy Spirit's help to, to make it all work. I had to do a memorial service this week for a lady. And uh, I didn't know her in great depth, but I said, Lord, need to give me something. I was only going to talk for no more than five or ten minutes. It was a memorial where everyone who knew this person would get up and uh, say some things. So I just said, Lord, you've got to do this. And then one morning I woke up and the name Phoebe was on my mind. Well, I know Phoebe's a biblical character. I also know she's one of the girls in Friends, but I said, not that Phoebe. I was thinking, I might, it might have been that Phoebe. God might have wanted me to draw some points out about her. So I thought, well, of course I know Phoebe. Now, where is she? There's two verses about Phoebe in Romans chapter 16. That's all. But those two verses have so much in it. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, this woman fits into this. I didn't know her in great depth. So when I went along to the memorial, it, the idea was people would say their part, then I would be called to just, you know, bring the last few minutes. And I thought, well, I'll just jot down everything. Uh, uh, just jot down. No. Okay, not here. I just jot down everything that everyone says about this woman. And as I'm just jotting them down, I think, my Lord, this woman sounds like Phoebe to me. I mean, it was just, so I just got up and I just read these two verses and just spoke about this lady for no more than five minutes. And it was, it touched people. It was so respectful of her. And people come up and said, oh, that was so good. That was so right, you know, what you said. And so, so, so the Holy Spirit must tell us what to speak on. When you get this opportunity to come and stand here and speak for those few minutes, just what even now, so a week in advance really, you can be saying, Lord, what do you want me to speak about? And just really be open. And, and as that thought comes, the verse of scripture, it might just be a word for me, like it was just a name, and then just take it, you'll know it's God, and start to work on it and expand it. As you get excited about it, what will happen? It'll grow and grow and grow. And you're thinking, he's only given me five minutes. Oh, I better shrink it down, shrink it down, shrink it down. Okay, to, to, to that part. So, I mean, once I was getting excited about Phoebe, it was getting like this. And I thought, well, I've only got about five minutes to, to, to sum this whole thing up. So it's listening to the Spirit of God to tell you what to speak because you are the messenger of God. The Holy Spirit then, as you start to put it together, start to think. He doesn't leave you to get on on your own. 
He works with you as you study together. You know the big difference between American ministers and British ministers? American ministers have an office. British ministers have a study. Okay, we don't have an office, we have a study. So whenever you see in a church office, that should always be taken down and put study. Uh, because that's the primary work, is to study, to study God, to study his word. Then when you emerge, you've got the word of the Lord for the people. That's what, that's what builds a church, that's what builds people. Oh, you can have lots of plans and programs and all these things, and I know that to gather people in, but that which truly builds the church is the word of God. It is, it's God speaking to us. And as we commit ourselves to it, it works wonderfully. And then, of course, as you stand to deliver, one, what God has given you, two, what he's helped you get together, he doesn't leave you then to get on with it. As you stand in front of the people, the anointing comes upon you and he flows through what you're saying. So you're just a channel. You've done some work, but you're a channel for God to come through you. The word that you preach should be confirmed with signs following your preaching. That's what the word of God says. Paul says something about this in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. He says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Now, if anyone was wise, it must have been the Apostle Paul. Because God just simply downloaded into this man the mysteries of God. That's what he said. Mysteries aren't hidden things. Mysteries are things that God needs to explain to us. And when God explains them, they're not mysteries anymore. So salvation was a mystery to the people of the Old Testament. When Paul steps onto the scene, he declares unto us the mysteries of God. Those things that were once hidden, now they're not hidden anymore. They're made plain. And so Paul preaches them. So I didn't come with you with wise and persuasive words, but I said, I come with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. See, it wasn't about how clever he was or smart he was. Now, you can listen to some preaching that is really, it's done by really smart people. They are so clever. But it's all right. But has it got the anointing of God on it? That's what you want. I mean, we should be as smart and as uh, understanding as we possibly can be. But without the anointing of God, we fail because it has no power in it. What are the signs and wonders he's talking about? Well, I know the signs and wonders of uh, deliverance and healing and all the other wonderful signs and wonders that we read about in the book of Acts, and we want to see them as well. If someone's going to preach about healing, you want to see some people healed. If you want to go preach about deliverance, you want to see people delivered. Those are the signs that follow the preaching. In the context... Paul uh, mentioning this here, there was tension in the church. Uh, they were a bit like this, the Corinthians. They excelled in many ways, but in other things, they weren't too good 
and there was tension. Remember, they said, oh, we, we love Apollos' preaching. We follow Apollos and this. Oh, no, we follow Paul and the other. Oh, no, we like Peter. And it's, that's understandable. Some preachers you like more than others or their styles or something. But, but it's caused tension, you see, and division in the church. So Paul has come to preach to them and he wants the power of God to flow through them and he wants a sign to follow. And the sign he wants to follow is you can have your preferences, but please come together in unity. The power of God he wanted released through his ministry that would cause them to love one another. He was expecting signs to follow his preaching. And so he preached unto them Christ and Christ crucified. And um, the Corinthian church might have taken them a bit of time, but they did learn their lessons. Preaching then involves three uh, entities, as it were. There is the preacher, there is the listener, and there is the Holy Spirit at work. The preacher, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is something more than just learning or oratory that I've said. Learning is good to be able to communicate well and clearly and have, you know, uh, quite a vocabulary of different words is helpful. Uh, but we want the anointing more than anything else. If you only could speak simply, with simple illustrations, and yet the anointing of God was flowing through you, wouldn't you rather hear that person than someone who was a brilliant orator, but the power of God wasn't flowing through them? You go, oh, no contest. We want the Spirit of God to come through the preaching. The second is the hearer. <laughs> Those who listen to preaching must have love in their hearts. This is of prime importance. Firstly, those listening must love God. They must love God. Otherwise, whatever I preach, whatever anybody preaches, if they don't love God, it's all a waste of space. It's, it's not going to have any effect. So our love for God is primary. Secondly, we must love God's word because the preacher's going to preach from God's word and we must hold it in high esteem and want to know what it says, want to know it. We love it. We love God and we love his word. And here's another thing. It's sort of connected with what Paul was saying. If you love the preacher, you'll get a lot more out of the sermon than if you don't love the preacher. It's as simple as that. You see, if someone that you love wants to talk to you, you want to listen to them. If someone who wants to talk to you and you don't think very highly of them, you're really not even listening to what they're saying. And it's the same with preaching. I worked with uh, a fellow for, oh, 12 or 13 years, and we were together in ministry. Um, sometimes he said some strange things, and of course in all churches where, where people are preaching or there's a team, there's always, oh, we like this one, or we like this one, or we like that. I understand. That's just human nature. Anyway, so sometimes this friend of mine who I worked with, and I really loved him, um, he'd say something a bit odd, you know, and I'd go, mm, okay, okay, that's fine. But then people used to come to me and complain 
about him and some of the things that he said. And I realised that even though I thought this was a bit odd, it didn't affect me because I loved him, you understand? I loved him. And so anything that he said that might have been considered a bit odd, you just went over the top of it because your love for the person was far more important than any error or mistake or slip that he might have made or a strange way of looking at something or a strange way of believing something. We all have strange things about us. But So I, I realised that was such a reality. If you love the person who's preaching, you will get just a hundred times more out of the sermon than if the person next to you doesn't love the preacher. That's just a reality. And I found when I go somewhere for the first time and preach, there's almost like a resistance from the congregation. They're not resisting me because they don't know anything about me, but they don't know me, so they can't, they can't love me. But then if I go back again and again and again, all of a sudden you get this sense of there's this flow between you and them. They're looking at you, they're, they're smiling or they're nodding approvingly, or at least they're listening and not going to sleep, which, you know, it's all good stuff. So all of that is very, very important. The hearer must do that. The third thing is the Holy Spirit confirms the message that's being preached. So there's the preacher must have the anointing. The hearer must have love in his heart for the word of God and for uh, the person. But the Holy Spirit comes to confirm the word. Now this is strange. He does it in both the heart of the listener and the preacher. Often when I'm preaching, I end up listening to myself. <laughs> That's a bit odd. Well, it's, it's funny because just preaching your brain is doing a bit, it seems to be doing a hundred things at once. You're looking at everyone, you're judging everyone's response to you, you're thinking what you're going to say next, and even the, and the words are pouring out of your mouth, all these thinking. The brain is a, is a wonderful thing that it can do, all of those things. And sometimes when I'm preaching, this thought comes to me, and it's not here. I didn't even get it in my study or think of it. And, it, and, I think, and I think to myself, wow, that's a great idea. And so it comes out of my mouth as though I'm, I'm Mr. Wonderful, you know. It's just, ooh, that was wonderful. That was amazing. I didn't know. So the Spirit of God's also speaking to me. He's teaching me. And I'm listening to everything that I'm saying. And sometimes God is saying more that I've actually prepared. So it's the spirit that comes to bear witness, to speak to both the listener and the one who is speaking. Preaching is also a, a part of what we do when we gather together to worship the Lord. We gather on Sunday to worship God. Now, I think a lot of people go to church and if you've done this in the past, well, you're excused of it. We're thinking, mm, did I like the music? Did I like the sermon? Well, I can understand that to a point, but really, was it for you? Did everyone gather there for you that you would enjoy what songs were picked or you would enjoy what the preacher had prepared for you? You're thinking, hang on a minute, no. This is about God. 
It's about our worship of God. See, this is just another attitude that hinders the truth and the word of God coming and affecting our lives. It's like, oh, I don't know why he plays guitar because this one's better than that one. He plays that too loud and, oh, why did they pick that song? That was awful and that, that's just, uh, we must get over that. We're here for God. We want the worship to worship God. We want to glorify God. Yeah, there might be some songs that you prefer than others. There might be some that are so old, you're so tired of singing them, you just think, oh God, please, could we move off that one? Just pray for the musicians then that they'll move it off and they'll cross it off and they'll move forward. I understand that, but it's to glorify God. And the sermon as well isn't about uh, the, the preacher. The preacher's just a servant and a channel. The sermon is to glorify God. It's to give honour to him. So both the singing, the worship part of it, and the preaching is something of a complete whole. It's interesting, in most of our churches, we would do the worship part first and then the preaching part. I've seen some people come and enjoy the worship, then walk out when the preaching starts. Thinking, don't understand that, okay. The, the preaching is supposed to be the crown, as it were, on top of the worship. Not that one is vying uh, for attention more than another, it comes together as a package. In other churches, people sometimes preach first, and then it's, it's much more rare, and then have a time of worship after, where people are then responding to the message that they've heard, and sometimes the worship is a whole lot better uh, than what it is done the other way. It's all to glorify God. Another thing about preaching, it always comes under the devil's attack. That's why some people won't do it, or won't want to do it. They know the pain they'll have to go through to stand in front of others and declare the wonders of God, to make them clear to people. It's normal. Paul prayed, didn't he, remember? He says, please pray for me. Pray that I might first know what to preach. And then he says, pray for me that I might preach it clearly and boldly. It says this in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. Pray also for me, he says, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel. That doesn't mean that you just stand up and hope that something's going to flow through you, because it very seldom works like that. It can do, if needs be, it can work like that. Generally, he would have uh, thought carefully, been prayerful about it. So he says, uh, yeah, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. He says, I've got no choice. I have to preach. All the time I have to preach. Now my dear wife will tell you that I'm in those same chains. It seems that I have to keep preaching. I have to preach. I can't stop because to stop is to stop being what God made me to be. 
if I am a gift from God to the church as a pastor teacher, to stop doing it is to stop existing. It's like, what am I going to do? You can't do anything else. That's what you were created and made to do. So you must do that. It's normally true of people where God has graced them with a gift. They've got to do it in the church. If not, they feel frustrated or angry or, or they, they just, because this gift needs to flow through them. Sometimes uh, the attack of the devil is so intense that people are sick before they preach. It affects them so deeply. I never know, I don't, oh, very seldom uh, when I've got something prepared and settled, it's usually sorted by Saturday night. Sometimes I'm burning the midnight oil for Sunday morning, but it's usually ready. But then the devil comes to me and says, that's no good. That's not going to work. People aren't going to enjoy that. Or that's not what God wants to say. Those thoughts just flood. Well, I'm so used to those thoughts. I just, um, don't know, unwrap another sweet and eat it or turn the channel over or do something. Just treat that with contempt. It is so normal. Of course, he's going to do everything in his power because he knows how powerful the word of God is to shut it down, to make sure it doesn't get broadcasted or preached away. He's, that's, that's what he'll always do. The listener also comes under attack. Have you noticed? <laughs> you know, it's awful, isn't it, when that happens? Uh, you think, oh, you know. I used to say in a Bible school that I once had, if that's, if that's happening, just get up and walk around don't, please don't fall asleep where you are there, just do it. And then you're thinking, and they feel so embarrassed, they're thinking, oh, this is awful. I really want to study the word of God. I'm passionate about God and I'm passionate about his word. And I do love you, Philip. <laughs> is he, well, see it for what it is. It's the enemy. There's something that's going to be said that he thinks, I don't want you to hear that. It can be a distraction. You like, you're sitting here and you're going along all fine and maybe it isn't, you know, it sort of lulls a little bit the preaching so off your mind goes on to something else. I don't know, your kids, uh, you know, your grandchildren, uh, the decorating you've got to do at home, the washing up you've left in the sink, what you're going to cook for dinner, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's just a distraction. You've got to go, focus, focus, focus. You've got to do it. It's the enemy. So a distraction, tiredness, being sleepy, a sense of apathy, mm, I don't know. It's the enemy. It's the attack. He'll attack both parties if he can. Preaching has, this is the last point I want to bring before our break. Um, preaching has both a divine and a human element to it. Uh, someone once said, a sermon is 10% uh, inspiration, 90% perspiration. Okay, in other words, God just drops the idea in your head and the rest is down to you. Well, that's how it might appear. Because you, you, you are working hard at this thought, this verse, this passage of scripture. You're digging, you're reading, you're trying to pull it all together. And you think, this is hard work. That's how it appears. 
It's not really like that. God's in it all the time with you. He is perspiring with you. He, he, he's working, he's working every moment. He never leaves you for a second. And as you're just, you get the idea and then you're walking along and, and, and this other idea, and, and God's dropping ideas into your head and dropping different verses of scripture that relate to things. He's working all the time. He's working with you. He hasn't left it to you. God does this in a miraculous way that he takes all the strain and work and yet he makes us feel that it's us that's done it. Isn't that good? It's like a father with a son, you know. He says, uh, let's, let's pick this up. So the boy goes, you know, he goes, uh, and his father's craftily, you know, he's, he's doing this, you know, and the kid's going, uh, and the father's lifting it. And he says, well done, son, well done. Knowing that the father did 90% of the lifting of the child only did 10%. That's what he does with us all the time. So when your opportunity comes to share uh, over the next uh, three weeks or so, you just think, God is with me in this. He wants to stretch me and pull me forward. And I'm up for it. Let's do it, God, together. God moves with us and through us. It says this in 2 Peter 1 and 21, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. This is slightly different preaching from prophesying. You can't prepare prophecy. Prophecy just comes and it flows. I understand that. But the concept is very similar in that it, it comes from God. Everything here was God breathed and God speaking. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed by God. And Paul, as we read earlier, he said, pray for me that words would be given me. He didn't want his words, his thoughts, his ideas. He was expecting the flow to come from the throne of God. Hmm. But not all sermons are divinely inspired, are they? Hmm. We have to be careful. We have to know the word of God, you see. And sometimes if something is said, the Holy Spirit inside you goes, check this out, check this out. And as smart Christians, we would be wise to check things out when the Spirit of God warns us to do it. How did they preach these wrong things? I tell you an, a very easy way of preaching the wrong thing. When someone wants to preach on a particular subject, he reads the scriptures, then he gets books to help him, to see what previous preachers have said about certain things. But if they've got it wrong, and he takes it on board, he's just going to reiterate what they said wrong. And so you perpetuate this falseness that's in the church. Now, he doesn't want to be false. He wants to be true. He wants to be right. He's respecting these writers, these authors, these, these 
And so he, but instead of working it out perhaps or being more prayerful or waiting on the Lord, he simply reiterates what others have said. Sometimes lies and deception have come in the church and they've been there for decades, for hundreds of years. And they've led people away from the truth, not necessarily away from their salvation, but away from the truth. A classic example of this is when the scriptures came together and people had the scriptures, there was no longer any need for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit ceased in the first century. So for a long, long time, hundreds of years, Many, many, many Christians were robbed of the truth of the fact that they could live empowered by the Holy Spirit. Of course, then what the Holy Spirit comes, he comes and brings the truth that we've lost and he brings it back to the church to revive it and to teach us of the truth again. Diligence in preparation is important. The sermon becomes the whole person's life. So when I stand before you, you've got 60 years that I've been a Christian. You've got 40 years that I've been a pastor and a teacher of the Word of God. Now, whatever it is, it doesn't start with just, you get the one sermon and that's it. You get all of that that has come through all the years to, to make what it is. So the sermon is the completeness of all of those things, all of those experiences, all of the things I've seen and experienced, all of these things, they flow through the preacher. So he stands in his wholeness before you. It's hard work. It takes time. It takes a lot of careful thought to put it together. 2 Timothy 2.7 says this, this is Paul speaking to him. He says, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Sometimes I, I'm led to something and I'm going, I don't get this. And I have to think about it and reflect upon it, see what others have said, and then slowly, and then sometimes walk away, and I don't know anymore. And I'm thinking, I need to speak on this. And so just as I'm just getting on with life, this thought comes to me as though God brings it as a revelation as we reflect on it. The preacher must skillfully handle, as it were, the word of God. Constantly reading or listening to God's word, reading books that other teachers for insight, listening to others preach and learn from them. Listen to a preacher, watch a preacher, watch that he, what he does and what he doesn't do. Watch what puts you off, watch what convinces you. I mean, because it's my trade, as it were, I do it all the time all the time. I mean, sometimes it puts me off what I'm listening to. I try to make it not do that. But you see, if you want to develop something, you watch how others do it and it inspires you. So prayer is an important part of preparation as well. A constant dialogue with God. Not getting together and saying, Lord, help me with this sermon. But as soon as you know you've got one, you're constantly dialoguing with God. You're listening, you're thinking, you're writing. 
you're listening some more, you're thinking, you're talking, you're rewriting, you're scrubbing stuff out. So this becomes this relational work with God that in the end you've crafted something that you can serve to the people as a good servant would. I have made this with loving care and I present it to you. So there you are. That's the start of what preaching is. We'll have a little break now, come back after the break, and we'll develop some ideas around what preaching is as well. Thank you. Welcome back. What I want to look at in this uh, section is what I've called the intent of the preacher. What is, if he stands before the people, what is he, what's his intent? What, what does he come there to do? And so we've got to expand on that whole thought. A sermon is a bit like a meal. Uh, scripture sort of backs this up. It says, God's word is the bread of life. Jesus, remember, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we need food to feed the physical body and keep us strong, but we also need the word of God to minister to our souls. So we could have strong bodies, but weak, weak souls. Really, we need both strong bodies and strong souls. The soul only becomes strong because we fed upon the word of God. Also, just as a balanced meal needs uh, certain things in the meal, carbohydrates, protein, nutrients, uh, different things to make the, the meal healthy. If we just kept eating rubbish, too much sugar, too much salt, and all this bad stuff, the wrong sorts of fats, that wouldn't do us any good at all. So uh, just as a meal needs to be rounded and wholesome for our physical good, it's the same with the sermon. The sermon has to have lots of elements in it that produce the best for our souls, our mind, our will, our emotion, uh, our spirit, our soul, our body. The sermon has to have everything in it so it ministers to us as a complete person. What's intended then in the sermon? Three things. The sermon is supposed to instruct us in truth. We have been brought up with a fallen nature in a fallen world, so our belief system is contrary very often to this. Now you would think, well, in a Christian country, we should be more in line with this, and that's true in some cases, but a lot of this has been eroded over the years, and so our nature is being fashioned by the world around us, which is a fallen world. And we have a fallen nature, so we've tended to go after what this fallen world has ministered to us. So the Word of God now has come to instruct us, to cause us to think like God thinks, to have his mind, his attitude. The other thing that the sermon must do, it must persuade us. You see, you might know what the truth is, but have I persuaded you to do it? Or are you thinking, oh, that's interesting, but you haven't been persuaded. It didn't have that element to make you say, yes, I want to do that. I'm convinced that that's the thing I should do. 
And of course, the other part of the sermon is to motivate you. You could say, well, thank you for instructing me. Mm, I think that's a good thing to do, but I'll just sit on that and wait a little while. Well, it's got to have that motivation. It's like, oh, I've got to do this now. I've got to change now. I've got to put this into place now. All of those things have to be in the sermon. The instruction, the persuasion, and then the motivation. A good sermon has all of these together. Now, sometimes sermons have more of one than another, and we're going to look at how this plays out here. So instruction, then, is instructing people about the meaning of a passage of Scripture. The, the persuading is reasoning with people to persuade them of the, uh, the value of it, um, how truthful it is. I've got to convince you of those things. I'm addressing then the imagination. In the first instance, I'm simply addressing the mind. This is the truth. In the, in the persuasive reasoning part of my sermon, I use, uh, I, I have to capture your imagination, not just your head, but something of your heart. And finally, to get you to do something, I've got to address your will. That's the strongest part of your soul. When you think of your mind, your will, and your emotion, if you're flowing all the time with your emotion, that is not a healthy thing because generally we can't control our emotions. They end up controlling us. But the will is what you determine to do. Charles Finney, a great preacher, says, I don't want my sermons to only stir your emotions, but I want them to affect your will. See, we can hear a great sermon and get all excited about it, and by tea time, we've forgotten what it was even about. It was just great at the time because the great content of it was all about emotion, was all about energy, and it was, it was, it was thrilling, but it didn't have that lasting effect. Where one that affects your will can change you for the rest of your life. What shapes then the preacher's intention when he prepares a message? What determines how the message should be preached? Well, I think there's two things. I think first it's the chosen passage of scripture determines how it's preached. And then the audience that you're preaching to determines how it's preached. Now, the difficult thing in a church is your audience is like saints who've been saints for 60 years and follow the Lord and new converts who've just come to know the Lord. So you're thinking, God, this is an impossible task. If, if everyone was of the same sort of level, then we could, we could do that. Now, in, I know in many churches in America, they have what they call Sunday school, which is for adults. So what they would do before the general service for everyone, they would have classes. And the classes would be either new converts or mature Christians or whatever. And so the teaching would be at that level. We haven't adopted that sort of policy much in this country unless it, the church has been affected by an American system. So we just, just put this sermon out for everyone, like a big shower job, and thinking, well, uh, people will pick up what they can. I think God's a bit more sophisticated than that. I think what God does as you preach 
the Spirit of God takes your words and applies them to the heart of every individual that's in the room. You see, it's not about oratory or my wisdom or my ability. It's about the Spirit of God flowing through me. So when I say something to a mature Christian, that could come across in one way as the Spirit of God does it, to a, a novice Christian who knows very little, the Spirit of God takes those same words and applies it to the heart of that person. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit of God does that. And, that, and so you can have mature Christians coming out and saying, oh, that was really good, God really touched me. And a, a new convert going, yeah, it was really good. And you're thinking, really? You both got something good out of that one thing? That's how it works. Let's look then first at the chosen passage of Scripture, which determines uh, the sort of balance of the preaching that we would do. A few churches teach systematically through the Word of God. Uh, you can still find some churches that do that, and they just work their way through the Bible verse by verse by verse. Last time that we did a module, we did Daniel, which, which caused us to look at each verse and each passage. And so in a way, you're, you're not talking of a theme, you're just presenting what the Spirit of God is doing. Now, some of the things that you read in Scripture, they take a lot of explanation. They're not clear. And so we need to instruct the mind. Other things are far more passionate and emotional, and it just rushes in and touches our emotions. What a lot of uh, churches and preachers do, they pick on a theme or they pick on a subject rather than teach through a book. And so you gather all the verses of scripture about that theme. And then, but even if you do it that way, you've still got to instruct, persuade, and motivate people. They need to be in every sermon that you would prepare. The chosen passage then. Parts of the sermon may require careful, detailed explanation. Now, that's where it can get a bit heavy. Okay, you have to watch that. You don't want none of that. You don't want to go there. Uh, and that's, that's part of the, the benefit of knowing your audience. If you've got well-established Christians who've been around a long time, they can patiently wait for you to explain it bit by bit. Others thinking, it's going too slow here. I'm getting distracted. Move this thing along quickly. Jesus didn't always explain what he said. Sometimes he did. Uh, we know with some of the parables, uh, often it would be the disciples that said, we don't know what you're talking about. Can you help us here? And he would break it all down very clearly and, and, and simply. So there is the need to break stuff down. Some of his teaching is a bit tricky to get hold of. I, I think I put a reference there in your notes if, if you were to look that up. I haven't jumped on that really particularly tonight. When he talks about you were gods and you go, oh, I don't get this one. I'm about to work this one out clearly. And so you might have to break that down and just teach that a little bit so people get it. This idea of persuading people, it, you have to preach in a way that you, you would talk to people's sensory imagination illustrations and stories that just capture you and you go, oh, I get that. 
That's why Jesus often spoke in parables, because it wasn't because the people were stupid. That's, that's nonsense. The people are as, as intelligent or as stupid today as they were at the time of Christ. That's nothing to do with people's mental abilities to do things. So, but this language of persuasion, if, if, you, if you have an experience and my illustration touches your experience, you go, oh, I get that, I understand that, and you're immediately persuaded by what I'm saying. There's lots of passages in the, uh, passages in the Bible that do that. The parables do this all the time, don't they? It's just uh, talking about farmers and fishermen and people that lose coins and sons that leave home. All of this stuff, people identify with those stories. Proverbs does this. I'm going to read this one to you. Proverbs 21 and 9. Just let your imagination... Uh, settle on these words. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> Listen, does that need explanation? <laughs> no, no. Why? Because you, if you, if that's not your experience, you know somebody who's, that is his experience, or you've seen enough television to know what we're talking about. And you can see this man sitting in the corner of a roof going, oh, and his precious wife is still quarrelling downstairs, but he's not there. She's just, she just does this constantly, you know. And so it's, it's comical. I don't have to explain that. You've got that. And so uh, stuff that persuades is this sort of thing. And it's throughout scripture, this, I can identify with that. I get that. I know what you're saying. And it's just very few words. And this great uh, vision image just appears in our mind uh, just simply by those few words. The third is um, the teaching should motivate us quickly to do something. There are lots and lots of verses that say, quickly, come on now, respond. Um, today is the day of your salvation. Ooh, I can't wait till tomorrow. I've got to do it tonight. I've got to pray tonight to receive the Lord. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. There's an urgency about the whole thing. Or uh, he who hesitates is lost. <gasps> I can't afford to do that. All these are lovely verses that the evangelist uses. The evangelist always wants to motivate you, you see. He doesn't want anyone leaving that building that night who hasn't given their heart to Christ. And he will use every technique possibly he can, motivating verses, motivating passages of scriptures, high emotion, high energy, to get you respond to Christ. And if he gets a hundred hands, he goes home a happy man. Of course, it's the pastor then has to come behind him and work all this stuff out in their lives. But he's done his job, you see. He's, he's preached in a way to move you forward, as it were. Choose this today who you will serve. Not tomorrow, not tonight. Choose, choose now. That's the sort of stuff that uh, the evangelist uses all the time. The second thing that... Uh, determines the, uh, the intent of the preacher uh, is um, his, I've sort of said it, is to know his audience. If you're a pastor in a church or you're regularly in one church, you soon get to know your audience. Uh, 
and um, you, you know their life, you know uh, the sort of things that affect them. It's a bit awkward sometimes because when you're preparing the sermon and you think of an illustration, you think, oh, should I say that? Because I know this person is struggling with this and you want to draw back what you say. And then you say, well, if I say that, they'll get the point. That's very confusing in your mind. Just somehow close everyone out of your thinking and just say, Lord, I'm just going to put this together. Put this together. Okay. So the preacher should know or at best consider his audience. You see, the evangelist is believing that people are coming to find something. So to do what he does is, is fine. Uh, the preacher, the pastor, he's seeking to build his congregation up and so he knows what to preach as well. How much instruction and background information is required in a sermon? <laughs> As you look through Romans, say, uh, this is to do with the audience I'm speaking about here, how much information do I put out? You say, well, I want to talk about this, but to talk about this, I have to explain this. And to explain this, I have to explain this. And to explain this, I have to explain this. And the point that you want to over here, you've already got 15 minutes explaining how we got from here to here. You've wasted 15 minutes. That's no good. So you mustn't overdo the instruction that you give people. What you just do is say, if I just do this bit, will they get it? Yes, sufficient. Even if they're not, con not and been converts for long, they can jump in there and get that without knowing all that. All the other people who've been around for donkey's years know all these stages anyway to bring them to that point. So you mustn't overdo that teaching side of it. You need to know if your audience are sceptical or full of faith. See, if they're sceptical people, you have to tread very carefully in the way of causing them to grow in faith, to trust God, to believe God. If you just aim too high, you'll off them before they've even started. And so we have to, be, we have to know a, con a con congregation and work to the average there. Have they been Christians a long time or a short time? Sometimes if Christians have only been Christians a short time, that's better than if they've been a long time. Because Christians have been Christians a long time, they get a bit stuck and they're not going to shift. They've worked out what Christianity is to them. They've worked out how far they're going to go and they're not going to go any further. Whereas the new convert goes, yes, 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 tell me more, tell me more. I'm having a go at that. So, so sometimes when a church is, is built or expands on lots of uh, existing Christians coming to the church, that's not easy to move the church in a certain direction. If you've got young new converts who don't know a bean, you can take them anywhere you want to go because they go, yes, let's do it, you know. Let's all give up our jobs and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. And you're trying to get other people to do that and they go, no, no, we're, not. we're, we're sort of established. So, so knowing your audience, and uh, it, it, it's vital. 
we get speaking styles. And if you're not careful, a preacher can, can sink into a certain stylistic way of preaching. Like the evangelist can only be an evangelist. He can't, he can't break the word of God down and clearly explain it because he's just full of emotion all the time. And the teacher, he's stuck in this slow uh, way of explaining everything, you know, very carefully and clearly so you simply understand it. And it... it, it, it we want everything, all the three, in a good sermon. So you mustn't fall into this stylistic rut sort of thing of preaching in this particular way. You want to say to Bible teachers sometimes, you need a rocket up you, mate. You just need to get cracking. And you need to say to the evangelist, you need to just calm down a bit because you're rushing so fast, we can't even keep going with you. So, so, but a good preacher will, will try and bring all of these things in. Each style then, it sort of includes uh, a certain proportion of different qualities in the sermon. So um, these are the qualities we're gonna look at. Clarity, interest, evocative language, energy and emotion. So if you look at that list, we've got clarity on this side, which is the teacher. Over here, we've got energy and emotion, which is the evangelist. In the middle, we've got interest and evocative language, which sounds like the persuading pastor. Understand? So it's, it's quite clear, isn't it, how the three... But if you're good, you can incorporate them all. Because there's times when you want to move fast with energy, there's other times you want to break it down clearly, and other times when you want to persuade people to move, to accept what it is, to see that what you're saying is vital. Let's consider each of these different uh, elements then. Clarity. Clearly explaining what the Bible teaches, bringing the thoughts of a sermon to the mind and the heart of the listener, clearly explaining those thoughts, convincing ideas. So the person needs to be convinced in his mind, in his understanding, in a logical way, step by step by step. I found it easier to study if I went from step one to step two to step three to step four. If someone jumped from step two to step five, they lost me quite often. Logical thinkers like logical sermons uh, so they can follow your thought patterns all the way through. Clarity is of vital importance. If you're teaching and instructing and trying to explain something, you have to be really really clear. Construction of your sentence, the words that you use are important. The second uh, element then is that of interest. I've got to keep you interested. If I don't, you're going to drift away from me. I'm going to lose you and then I've got to do something funny and everyone laughs and you come back to me again. I don't want to do that or I stop 
I stopped speaking altogether and you go, oh, what's he stopped for? And I've got you back again, you see, because you were distracted. There are some techniques if you think someone's, you know, not there, because that's, we're not playing games here. It's just <laughs> something that happens. Boring sermons have a short lifespan. You will forget it before you got home or even in the car if it's boring, because it didn't, it had no interest in it. It didn't do anything for you. As you build an interest in a sermon, the interest builds. You say, tell me the next bit. What's the next bit? What's the next bit? And in the end, we get to the end. You go, wow, that was great. You've got to keep the interest flowing all the time. The third element is that of being evocative. You, you paint pictures with words. You, just like I did from that proverb, and loads of them have been proverbs, I didn't have to say any more about the guy on the roof and the chorus and what You just had it in, in your mind. Jesus did this all the time. He used picture forms, didn't he? He used it all the time so people saw it and understood it. And evocative language brings thought of life and gives, it makes it all tangible, makes it real. It's not just words on a page and you're explaining something, but it like, you just know what he's talking about. A farmer went into a field and he spread corn everywhere and then some corn went here and some there and some there and some there and the birds came and the rocks and that and it, you, you're just lost in the picture. The prodigal son, you're lost in the picture. He's feeding the pigs, he's trying to eat their food, he comes to his senses, he comes home, the father runs down the road. You see it and it stirs something in you. It provokes something in you. It appeals to the listener's memory, to his imagination, to his own experience. When a speaker communicates a new idea in a manner that connects it to the person already perceives, they foster the understanding. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're saying. Language may do that by painting words. Paint words. We could have a power thing, couldn't we? And put pictures up. That's fine. But a preacher can do better than that. He can so capture your imagination. He's got you. When I was young, we never had a television. We only had a radio. Well, they even called it a wireless in those days, okay. But as you listen to the wireless, to the radio, didn't your imagination just explode? You were sucked into this thing and your imagination was taken over simply by words. We watch television now and we don't have to think too much. All the imagery is presented for us and it's fine and I'm not complaining about films or television but there's something we lose in when we can have our own imagination. And if you think if someone's listening to a story on the radio, everyone's seeing something different in their mind. It's fascinating, isn't it? And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. I'll paint a picture and what you see and what you see are two different things. It's the same story and yet somehow your experience creates that picture. And that is the thing that evokes you, is provocative within you. The, th the fourth element here that we have is energy. Within a sermon, within a delivery of a message, it needs to go fast sometimes, and other times just 
slow down a little bit. But films do this. If we watch a film, it, it moves fast, and then all of a sudden there's a dialogue scene which is very slow moving, and then it goes again. You know, sometimes I watch a film and it's all dialogue, and I think I can get up, walk around, go in the next room, come back again, and I won't have missed anything. Uh, because that's what it does. Casual preaching is just like a nice sunny afternoon walking down the lane. It's that high energy preaching is you're rushing into the marketplace. All these things are happening. Things are going on. All of that needs to be in there. One of the big problems today is these fantastic themes of scripture are preached in a way that it's like, and no, you never do this when you preach. You understand this? And you never lean against anything when you preach either. I mean, just don't, just don't. I'm likely to jump up and say something. It's just like, I'm talking about the resurrection of the dead, you know, and I've got an hand in my pocket like this. You go, what are you doing? You're killing it. It doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. I'm looking at you and you are killing it. And another good reason not to put your hands in your pockets because there might be change in there or keys. <laughs> and I want to get up and say, stop, stop. Get your hand out of your pocket and stand behind that pulpit and preach this tremendous theme of God because it is so important, so vital. Come on, wake up. God has entrusted you with the greatest message in the world and you've got your hand in your pocket. Don't get it. Don't get it. The last one is this emotion. Hmm. I was speaking on Sunday about something and I, there was, I had to teach some things like instructive and then I had to persuade people and at the end I knew it would take some emotion this person came to me and said, I really enjoyed that sermon. But they said, I felt a bit uncomfortable when you got emotional. I thought that's what I wanted. I wanted to instruct you. I wanted to persuade you. Then I wanted you to pick up my emotion. And I wanted you either to think, yes, Phil, or you're making me feel uncomfortable. See, I want a reaction. You either love me or hate me. I either, but to sit there and just go, uh, and then to walk out, uh, I fail completely. We must cause a reaction within the people. The emotion must be there as well. I've stood in the front and I've held back tears because it's so powerful, some of the things that are going on. And I've laughed and laughed at other things because it strikes me as so funny. Our emotions, the language of emotion is caught. It's caught by us. You can't teach it. It's just something that we catch, as it were. So those are the elements that we're bringing in to our preaching and teaching. I don't know if this will work on the screen. You should have these, uh, these graphs with you. Um, 
what we have, we have the different styles of preaching. So this is teaching, this is um, the persuasive, and this is the motivating. And all it simply and clearly does is if you're going to be teaching something that needs instruction, it's got to be very high on clarity, interest, being evocative. You see how it gets less and less as it goes down. So if I want to teach clearly about something, I don't want to use much emotion and energy. I just want to be clear and I want to, I want to be able to cause you to be interested in this subject. If I'm using a persuasive uh, part of my sermon, I want, to, I want it to be evocative. I want you to get it. I don't have to be really clear and explain everything because that would work against that. So to have one thing is important. Uh, to have too much of something else, it would detract from it. And again, we get back to the evangelist here with the motivation. High energy, high emotion, moving fast all the time. He doesn't have to be very clear. He doesn't have to explain it. He just has to get you to put your hand up and say, I want Jesus and that's what I want. It's like, and, and sometimes you listen to an evangelist and you go, ooh, really? Okay, you know, come to Jesus and all your problems will be sorted out tonight. You go, yeah, is that true? It's like, whoa, we got some, you know. But he doesn't worry about the clarity of it. He doesn't, he doesn't care, not that he's being wrong it's just that's what he's doing so a good preacher though can use all of these he knows about these and he uses them the teaching style then it emphasizes clarity plain statements clear words simple expressions specific language descriptive phrases and short concrete words so we understand clearly what's going on. It mustn't be dull though. Oh, some teachers are so dull and their excuse is I'm a teacher. No, no, you should never be dull. You should never put your audience asleep. It should have vitality and life in it. Even if you're breaking it down to explain something very, very carefully, it needs to have interest. It needs to be delightful, arresting, and intelligent at the same time. All the other elements have to go into the background so you're clearly teaching, or they will compete with what you're seeking to do. The persuading style, better, better preachers try to persuade people all the time. Like I said, some people are aware of the truth, but they're not persuaded. You have to persuade them. That's your job. They say, well, I knew all that. I know I should do this and not that, but how do I persuade you then to do this and not that? That's the preacher's job. Evocative language can do that. Interesting, emotional language, energizing descriptive language and vivid words, sensory words. A quarrelsome wife, the husband sitting on the roof, visionary, sensory, visionary things. You heard the woman. You heard her, you saw him, what he was doing. You saw the smile on his face that he had escaped. You saw all this. And that's what causes 
us to be persuaded. Motivational or the moving style, better preaching intends to move someone. I, I sort of, sometimes whenever preaching finishes, uh, some preachers call people for a response all the time. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Anything that you do again and again and again wears thin. So don't do it every time. If you feel that a response is necessary, then call for one. But to do it all the time, it just becomes, uh, no, it loses its effect. Better preaching intends to move people from one place to another, to move people to action, to move people to reaction. Good, good preaching lights a fire under people. I say, yes, yes, I want that. So the result is foundational truth plus persuasive Validity and value plus urgent commitment equals good preaching. Two questions. What am I called to do with God's word when I proclaim it to these people? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be instructing you, persuading you, or moving you on to action? And think carefully. How then can I purposefully bring these principles into the ministry that I've got? You think, Philip, you want me to speak and I'm supposed to remember all this stuff. No, 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 no. no, no. All of this stuff comes uh, through practice. And also God has called you to, to be a preacher. Do you remember what it was like if you've learned to drive a car, how difficult it was to remember everything all at once? It was tricky, wasn't it? I just remember it. I remember the, like the car kept going to the side of the road. Well, my brother said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to change gear and put my foot on this and do that and do that. I'm not surprised I'm keep going over here. Anyway, so because in time it just becomes part of you, you don't even think when you're doing it. And so the things that we practice, it just makes us perfect. Okay, so next week, three of you are going to volunteer this week to uh, go home and um, uh, ask God to give you a, a, a verse or a word or something, a topic, and you're going to give some time and just be open to the Holy Spirit to drop little thoughts and ideas into your head, and uh, you're going to prepare uh, a message, and then I'll teach for the first half, and then... Uh, most of the second half, I think we'll do it like that. I might switch one in the first half. We'll just have to see how it goes along this week. But to come and just present it, and then um, all you lovely people will listen to what is being said, and you will try and remember some of the things that I've said, or you would, it would be obvious to you, oh, that was really good, you did that, or you didn't do that, or you did that, and we will listen and just respond just for a few minutes to what to what you've heard from the people. So, volunteers, please.
Well, I will pick on one man and two ladies then. Okay. Simon, you up for this? I knew you would be. Okay. And um, how about this? Eileen. <laughs> yeah? He said yes, straight away. Yeah. You wouldn't say no, would you? No, no. You wouldn't say no, okay? And, um, okay. Uh, Jill, will you be here next week? She can, of course she can. She let the cat out of the bag when I was talking to her earlier. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just relax and let it all, let it flow. It's it's the, it's the spirit of God that'll do it. So, you up for it, Jill? Well, I need to have a yes before. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. So, um, okay, okay. And and to put, I'll ask Simon to go first next week. It might be in the first or the second section. Uh, we might have one in the first section and then two in the second section. And so if you come prepared. So, but listen, it must not go beyond five minutes. It must not. I mean, the, the easiest thing, is once you get on a, a, a roll, you just keep going. But I will be looking at the clock and I will stop you. Uh, otherwise, it'll just it'll lose its uh, importance and reality. Okay, so that's uh, bringing our teaching to a close this evening. Thank you. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please come on back next week for our second lesson in the preaching module. If you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, you can do so by heading over to our website at ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online donation. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry a living legacy.